I'll be reading uh, Matthew chapter 11, 1 through 19. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the cities. Now where John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come to me, who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And the blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet, this is he whom it is written. Behold, I send my message before your face. Who will prepare your way before you? Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied unto John, if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But... To what shall I compare the generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We have played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by their deeds. If you would take your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. Continue our study there in the Gospel of Matthew. It was spring of 1996. I was a senior in college. I was engaged to be married, planning on graduating in May, headed to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas that August. By all accounts, I was on top of the world, finishing up college, those best days of your life, getting married, supposedly that summer, and a series of events in my life and in those around me that don't really need to be mentioned here because they're not primary to what we're talking about. My fiance broke off the engagement and it rocked my world. I went into what I believe I could fairly call to you and to those that would know me, uh, maybe six months of depression. Certainly it was because of the hurt and the emotional distress of a broken relationship that I thought would last a lifetime, but it was more than that. I had prayed diligently, sought God's face about his will for my life, and with everything that was in my being, I thought I was following his will And if what I thought was God's will, I would certainly not be here today, would have never come to this seminary and would not have been married to Jenny. You see, I thought that I was following his will and I really went into a time where I had to ask God, my 
questions were not so much about a broken relationship, a, a life that I was going after that would have taken me to another state other than North Carolina. My question was, Lord, I was confident that I was following your will, that I knew what your will was for my life. How had I missed your will? What did I do? What was going on that I did not know? What was I not hearing? What did I not know of your will? How did I miss that? Have, have you ever been there in your life? you ever come to a place where you just see what God is doing and you think, Lord, how did I miss? I was so confident in God's will. How did I miss this? It's a time where your current circumstances don't match what you believe your circumstances should be. Perhaps you believe that God is not really acting when he should be acting in your life. Perhaps God is doing something, but it's not really what you think he should be doing in your life. This week in our study of the Gospel of Matthew, we come to a, a, a passage that deals with this very issue. You see, we see John the Baptist who is there in his current circumstances in the text that you've heard. We get a glimpse of a follower of, a, a follower of Christ who needs clarification on Jesus' identity. Who are you? And on Jesus' mission and how he's working in John's life. In the midst of this interaction between Jesus and John and Jesus and the crowds, I believe that you and I find here some helpful truths for times of doubt. And so I want to call our attention to Matthew chapter 11. Hopefully, we'll learn from Jesus, Matthew's account of his life here, about how you and I can deal with times of doubt in our own lives. Verse 1 in Matthew 11 is simply a transitional verse. Some would put it back with the end of the sermon that Jesus just preached where he was sending out his disciples and telling them, expect hardship, expect these things, but keep your eyes on the goal. And so Matthew then has this transitional verse. When Jesus had finished instructing the twelve, then he goes on from there to preach in their towns and cities. And so in the midst of this ministry, we're into another section of the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus is doing his ministry. He's preaching and teaching in their villages. He's moving around, sharing the story of the kingdom of God. And in the midst of that, we see this conversation. This is not the first time that we've seen John the Baptist and talked about him. We saw his ministry back in chapter 3. And just back in chapter 9, we saw some disciples of John come and question Jesus on his very ministry. And this, I believe, may just be an extension of what John is thinking and how John is reacting to Jesus' actual ministry and what he thought should be happening. And so, verse 2, when John, who was in prison heard about the deeds of Christ, he hears what Jesus is doing, he sends word to Jesus by his own disciples. The Gospel of Luke tells us that two of John's disciples are the ones that come, and so I want us to understand what John is doing here, and hopefully in the midst of this interaction between Jesus and John up front, and then Jesus and the crowd, we can find some truths on doubt. Truth number one, let's jump into the text. Truth number one, be careful that your circumstances do not too easily determine your view of Jesus 
and His Word. Be careful that your circumstances do not too easily determine your view of Jesus and His work. Look at verse 2. Now when John heard, in prison, Matthew gives us those two little words. He doesn't describe it any further here, but what we know is John is in prison. In just three chapters, chapter 14, we're going to come back to John the Baptist and we're going to see that John the Baptist is in prison for his preaching, for his calling people out on their sins. So we know John is in prison and he is seeing what's going on, but that circumstance of being in prison, no doubt he is there in prison, has plenty of time to think, plenty of time to hear what Jesus is doing, and he has preached a gospel that the king is here, and the kingdom is here, and judgment is going to be coming, and so John is in prison while the kingdom is supposed to already be here because the king is here, and he is at a place and thinking some different things, and so because Herod had him arrested his public exposure of the immorality of Herod, he's sitting in prison and this difficulty, listen, this difficult situation in John's life is just like a difficult situation in your and my life. It often breeds doubt. Now note that in your own life. Be aware of it. Preempt it. When you are in difficult situations, when your life gets hard, you will be tempted to doubt. John is there. So the first truth I want to bring to you, I think this passage is going to speak into our hearts, is this. Be careful that your circumstances, that your difficult situation does not determine your view of Jesus and His work. There are things that we will learn in this passage that we should expect Jesus to do and can expect Jesus to do, but not always the way that we would expect them. And so here, I want you to note that when you're in difficult situations, you have the tendency to doubt, but don't let your situation determine what you believe about Jesus. Rather, let's move on. Truth number two, be careful to trust the Word of God. In your difficult situation, don't so much look at your circumstance as looking at the words of our great God. And so what does John do? He sends two disciples to ask Jesus. Jesus, what does he do? He says to John's disciples. Look at verse 4. Jesus answers them. Go and tell John what you hear and see. Well, what are they hearing and seeing? Verse 5. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Be careful to trust the Word of God. Why would I say that? Because Jesus is bringing John's attention back to the Word of God. These are two passages that have these text or these words in them from the Old Testament that John would have known well. As a matter of fact, if you go back and look in chapter 3, John's preaching. He's preaching much out of Isaiah 40. Certainly he would be familiar with all of Isaiah. He would know Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. And so Jesus is bringing those up. Isaiah chapter 35 verses 5 and 6 talk about the suffering servant, the one who is going to come, the king who is uh, coming, the Messiah, He says, the eyes of the blind will be opened when he comes. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. That's Isaiah 35. Jesus is saying, the scriptures are being fulfilled in my ministry. So go tell him what you see. These things are happening. Isaiah 61. 
Isaiah prophesies about the Messiah who would come. The Spirit of the Lord is upon him because the Lord has anointed him to bring good news to the poor. That's exactly what Jesus says. He's bringing John back to the Scriptures to say, in the midst of your doubt, don't so much look at your situation as you look at the Word of God. Trust the Word of God. It will never fail, never fade away. So my friend, this morning, if you are in the midst of a situation where you're wondering, God, where are you? What are you doing? Are you moving? Are you working? Is this your world? Go back to God's Word and know that God is faithful to it. Look around, Jesus says. God is keeping His Word. So in the midst of your doubt, know this. Be careful that your circumstances don't determine your view of Jesus and His work. Be careful to trust the word of our great God. Thirdly, be careful to wait on the Lord. Be careful to wait on the Lord. John is there in prison and you can imagine that he's wondering, what are you going to do, Jesus? Will you you get me out of this prison? Will you... Deliver me. When's your kingdom coming? When are you going to take over? I think that what you and I can know in this passage and other passages is that not only is John thinking about and expecting Jesus' kingdom to come, expecting Him to bring a political coup and set up His kingdom right now in the most powerful way, bringing judgment, bringing vengeance, but Jesus is not doing so. And Jesus says, look at the Word. I'm doing exactly what God had planned for the king to do. And so what John knows is that the king is going to do more than just what Jesus says. Now watch this carefully. In any time that we go to scripture, in any time that you and I listen to the promises of God, we must know the entire counsel of God. And so John's perception in the midst of the situation is just the fact that he is looking at Jesus and knowing that there is judgment that is to come with the coming of the kingdom and Jesus you're not bringing judgment you're just preaching good news you're just healing the sick you're showing your authority over demons and all of these things when's when's the vengeance coming when's the judgment coming well how do we know that look at this here's what Jesus does he brings John's attention to two Old Testament passages that I've just quoted you but he knows that John would know the context of those two passages. Now, it's interesting to me that Jesus just quotes Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6, that talk about healing. He just quotes Isaiah 61, that talks about preaching the good news. But if you look at the context of both of those passages, both of them have the judgment that John was preaching. I don't want you to necessarily turn there, but listen to what John was preaching and his expectations of Jesus when he was preaching. This is Matthew chapter 3. John is preaching the same thing that Jesus was, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. But he moves on and begins to to preach to the Pharisees and Sadducees in chapter 3 verse 7, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. 
If you skip down to verse 11, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Listen, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John's message was this, the king is here, and because the king is here, he is bringing judgment. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and he's going to clear out all of those who are opposed to him. The king is bringing judgment. And John had the expectation that when Jesus came, he would bring this very judgment. And Jesus is quoting to him scriptures that say, I'm going to heal the blind. I'm going to make the lame to walk. But those scriptures also speak of judgment. I just mentioned to you Isaiah 35. Listen to verses 3 and 4. This is right before verse 5 and 6 that says, The lame will walk, the deaf will hear, the blind will see. Here's what it says. Strengthen weak hands and make firm feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, listen, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Now, the Old Testament has said, God is going to come with vengeance. In Isaiah Chapter 61, I quoted to you verse 1. Listen to verse 2. This king who is coming is going to proclaim the, the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God. Jesus' coming is supposed to be a coming that is the favor of God and the judgment of God. And John is saying, I see the favor, I see your miracles, where's the judgment? When are you going to set up your kingdom? John has these expectations that are unmet yet. Church, this morning I want you to know that you and I need to look around and understand that our situation cannot dictate our view of our God. We must be careful to trust the word of God, but we also must be careful to wait on the Lord. Look at verse 6. Jesus says, after he quotes this, look, Jesus knows that John would know the context of the verses that Jesus is quoting. And that was John's expectation. And so he says in verse 6, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus says, I know I haven't brought this judgment yet. It is a day. The judgment of God has been proclaimed, right? It is going to be poured out on Christ on the cross. The day of God's vengeance is there. All of the vengeance, all of the wrath is going to be poured out. Be sympathetic with John Church because he's on that side of the cross. You and I know that all of that wrath was poured on Christ. He took the wrath that was ours. He took the judgment of God that was ours. John is on the other side of that. And he's saying, when are you going to bring the judgment? When are you going to bring the judgment? When are you going to set up the kingdom? And so Jesus is saying, wait, hang in there. You'll see. You'll understand. You'll see what I'm going to do, but you've got to wait on me to fulfill. I'm not necessarily, listen church, Jesus would say to you, I'm not going to fulfill my word under your dictation. I'm going to fulfill it according to my plan. So this morning, I want you to know that our God is going to keep his word. Trust it, know it. When you doubt your life, get into the revelation of God to know who our God is and how He acts. But then wait on 
our God. The word blessed is the same words that we saw in the Beatitudes in chapter 5. And I just want to reiterate it to you. Jesus is saying to you, to John, to me, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Who my timetable, it's, it's a passive word. My timetable is not offending you. That's when you're blessed. So this morning I want to encourage us to wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Don't allow your circumstances to dictate your perspective because God's timetable is not always your timetable. And it certainly wasn't John's. I want to ask you this question this morning before we move on. Do you have a situation this morning that is pushing you toward doubting God? Know that that is your temptation to doubt our great God in hard situations. Do you have expectations of God, perhaps biblically founded expectations of God, that are yet unmet? Has it caused you to doubt our great God? Jesus is saying here to you this morning, your timetable is not mine. Wait on me. I will fulfill my word. I will do what I've promised to do in my time. And so now we turn in verse 7 to Jesus' interaction with the crowd. That's John and Jesus interacting together. Now Jesus has been confronted by John's disciples, no doubt, in the midst of his preaching and teaching. And there are people, I'm sure, around that have heard that. And Jesus doesn't want them to doubt John. I think one of the major points that you and I must take from this passage is, even though John is sending disciples to question this, Jesus is going to say, hold on just a minute. I don't want you to have such a view of John. John is a stalwart. He is the greatest prophet that we've ever seen. That's what he's going to say. And so I don't want you to doubt him just because he's asking for clarification on who I am and what what I'm doing. And so look at Jesus. He then turns to the crowd in verse 7 and speaks to them concerning John. It may indicate to us that the crowd is both questioning John and Jesus by this time. And I think that is indeed what we're seeing. In chapter 11, we're gonna, we've made a change to where we're going to see a lot of people oppose Jesus. Here is a follower of Jesus that's even asking for clarification. So maybe you, even like John this morning, asking for clarification. Jesus, where are you, God? What are you doing? And so Jesus turns and speaks to the crowd. He asked him a couple of rhetorical questions about John. So let me tell you the fourth truth that I want us to understand about doubt. And that is, be careful to trust Jesus and his assessment of you and the situation. Be careful to trust Jesus and his assessment of you and the situation. So Jesus turns to the crowd and assesses the situation with John. And he says to them, what did you go out to see in the wilderness? Why did you go see John? You didn't have to go. You had to go out of your way to get to hear his preaching. Why did you go out there? Did you go to see a reed shaken by the wind? Let me paraphrase that and put it in our language. Did you go to see some pansy preacher and some uh, wimp that was out in in the wilderness? He was not a reed shaken. John was a stalwart. He was not afraid to call you to repentance. You didn't go out there to see some weak mouth guy who had some easy message of feel good you went out there because John was saying you're sinners and you need to repent you weren't going to see a reed shaken what then did you go to see he says in verse 8 a man dressed in soft clothing of course not Jesus I think here could be saying to us a man dressed your translation may say in fine clothing this is what he said he goes on to say this is what is to be worn in king's houses 
You didn't go out to see a wealthy man just because you might follow after him and maybe get some of his wealth or maybe hear about the latest get-rich-quick get rich scheme. You went out there to see a man who was not eating in king's houses. He was eating honey and locusts. He was not dressed in fine clothing. He was dressed in camel's hair. You didn't go out there to see somebody because he was wealthy and was telling you how to do it. You didn't go out there to see somebody who had a feel-good message that would shake in the wind. Whatever the doctrine of the day was, whatever the popular thing was in that day, that's what he was preaching. You didn't go to see that. What did you go to see then, verse 9? A prophet? Watch this. Jesus says, yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. That's it. Look, listen with me, church. Think about this. John came as the last in the line of great prophets of God. And he, Jesus is going to say in verse 11, was the greatest. And there's no one born of women. No one born of women that is greater than John the Baptist. That is, there's no human that has been greater than John the Baptist up to this day. That's what he says. Verse 12, for from the days of John the Baptist up until now, so John came after all of these prophets. Now listen to this. There was 400 years of silence. God had sent prophet. He had sent Abraham as a prophet, Moses as the prophet, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all the minor prophets you have in the Old Testament, Hosea, Daniel, Ezekiel, major prophets in the Old Testament, all the way to Malachi who is saying, hey, this is what's coming. And then there's 400 years of silence. No word from our God. None. And then John comes on the scene. Fresh. Prepare the way of the Lord. It's time. The king is coming. You went out to see someone who is a prophet of God who said the king is coming. Prepare the way of the Lord. That's why you went. Because he was, look at what he says, he was a prophet, verse 9, and more than a prophet. Why was he more than a prophet? Well, he goes on to tell you in verse 10. Because he was not only prophesying, he was not only speaking the words of God, he's a prophet who had prophecy about him. He was both the fulfillment of prophecy and he was a prophet. He was more than a prophet. There was prophecy about John. He was the messenger going before the face of God. Malachi 3, 1, prophesied about the coming of John the Baptist. And he'll prepare the way of God. So Jesus is saying, John is the greatest human ever born. Greater than David. Greater than Moses. Really? Greater than Abraham. John the Baptist. Yes, That's God's assessment of the situation with John. Now, go to verse 11 and look at God's assessment of your situation. Into verse 11. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. If you would have come in this morning and I would have started this sermon saying, I'm looking at a lot of folks that are greater than King David. I'm looking at a lot of folks that are greater than Abraham. I'm looking at a lot of folks that are greater than Moses in this place this morning. You might have rubbed your eyes one more time and said, what, what did he just say? Greater than David? Greater than, greater than Moses? Not in here? Surely not. 
But that's Jesus' assessment of your situation. Why? Because you have the greatest privilege of any prophet that had ever come. You are on this side of the cross, and that's what Jesus is saying. The least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than He. Why? Because you have come into the kingdom of the King by the grace and death and burial and resurrection of the King who took the wrath of God for you and gave you the keys to the kingdom. He gave you salvation. He brought you into the kingdom. And so that makes you greater than all of those who have come. Your privilege of seeing the king and knowing his resurrection. And by faith and repentance coming into his kingdom. The least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Jesus says there's no human that's ever been born that's greater than John the Baptist. And yet the least of those in the kingdom of God. I hope you would say that includes us. I know that it includes me, the least in the kingdom of heaven. And John, or Jesus says, you then are greater than he. Why? Because your privilege of entering into the kingdom of heaven is greater than even the privilege of being a prophet of God in the Old Testament. Because you are part of the new covenant. You are greater than than all of that. I feel like just bringing you all a cup of coffee next week so you'll wake up because you ought to be excited about that in the Word of God. It's the kingdom and you are part of it. Now listen, this isn't a passage that's talking about John's doubt and Jesus' assessment of who John is. And then he says, where are you? You take this and apply it to you. And he's saying, in the midst of your hard situation, in the midst of your unmet expectations, in the midst of you questioning what God is doing, here's what Jesus assesses your life as. You are greater than John the Baptist. Trust him. Somebody ought to at least in your heart be saying amen because none of you are saying it out loud. careful to trust Jesus' assessment of you in the situation. Truth number five, be careful to conform your life to God's plan, not your, God's plan to your life. Be careful to conform your life to God's plan and not God's plan to your life. He says in verse 16, skip down there with me, but to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling their, their playmates. Jesus is giving us another, situa- or another illustration here. In the marketplace, this is where kids played. So if you can imagine just going into the marketplace, all the shopping, all the trading would be doing there. There's a little section with children, and they're all over there playing. The, 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 uh, uh, the families leave their children there as they trade, as they do things. All the kids kind of gather together in one place, and, and they're over there playing. And Jesus says, here's what I'm going to compare the generation to. It's like those kids over there in the marketplace. They're playing, and they say to one another, there are some of them sitting up against the wall, and they're they're." yelling at their playmates, and here's what they say, we play the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, and you didn't mourn. It's an interesting illustration Jesus uses there. He's saying, we tried to get you to play wedding, and you wouldn't play it. So we got you to try to get you to play the game of funeral, and you didn't play that either. You didn't do what we wanted you to do. We, we tried to get you to play our game, and you didn't play it. So we tried weddings and celebrations. We tried funerals and, and the, the mourning, and you didn't do either. Why won't you play our game? You ever met kids like that? My kids are like that. They want you to play their game all the time. They don't want you to play your game. They want you to play their game. 
Adults are like that too. You just don't play little silly games like that. You want everybody to live as part of your kingdom and part of your plan. And then everything will be good. And when they don't, you're in conflict with them. That's what he's saying. He's drawing out the illustration from children. And so here's what he says. Look at verse 18. He applies it. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. Remember when John came, he was in the desert eating honey and locusts, and he says he came neither eating or drinking. He wasn't celebrating. He was preaching repentance. He was an ascetic. He didn't go in and have fine clothes. He didn't have all of this stuff. He didn't eat and drink and celebrate. He was in a morning time, and he was asking you to repent because you're sinful before a great God, and he called you boldly to repentance, and you said he had a demon. But then, verse 19, the Son of Man came, and he was rejoicing. He was eating and drinking, and they say, look at him. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Friend of tax collectors and sinners. So Jesus is saying it really doesn't matter. The illustration of the kids was a wedding and a funeral. You couldn't have two opposite games, could you? And he says the same thing with John the Baptist. He came and he wasn't eating and drinking. He was saying repentance. I came and I'm celebrating because the the bridegroom is here. You remember this passage in in the uh, text of Matthew. And you call me a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of sinners. So what's he saying? Those, it doesn't matter if we're not living according to your plan, then all of those of the kingdom of God are going to be opposed. John was opposed. I was opposed. John was called Um, one who had demons, I was called a drunkard and a glutton. And so you're just criticizing. This is what is going to happen in your life. And so here's what Jesus is saying to the crowds. He's saying, don't conform God's plan to your life. Rather, conform your life to God's plan. That's what he says in the last verse, last statement. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Isn't it interesting, the beginning of this passage, this whole story is one story. Verse 2, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ. John is evaluating the deeds of Christ and he doubts. Because they're unmet expectations in difficult situations with a limited perspective. John is doubting what Jesus is doing. Now Jesus turns and says, don't... Think bad of John. You're going to go through some times like that. So let me tell you, fifth truth, you can't conform my plan to your plan. You have to conform your life to my plan. That's what he said. The whole point is trust God. I think what Jesus is saying is this. In the midst of opposition, whether it's John or Jesus, the kingdom of God is coming, John, Poplar Spring, just like Jesus planned it. It is not outside of his plan. He is still sovereign. He knows, so John, you're in prison. I'm not unaware of it. I know your situation. I know your message. It is my message. Isaiah 35, Isaiah 61. Trust me, the judgment part is coming, just not right now. Wait on God's timing, wait on God's plan, and trust Him in the middle of it because the kingdom is coming and the deeds that I am doing are going to justify. You will understand it better by and by. Trust me. And so church, this morning, what I want to call you to is to this great king, 
who comes and says, I don't need you to understand everything I'm doing because you don't have my perspective. But I do need you to trust me. I am bringing about everything I've said I would bring about in your life, in the life of this church, in the life of this world. Trust me. Live today according to what you know that I've told you to do and trust what I'm doing. I will bring it about. There will be blessing and life. So listen, you're in the midst of a situation. Perhaps you have a sickness that you do not understand. Perhaps you have lost a loved one that you did not know why and cannot understand it. Perhaps a relationship has been broken that you don't know what is going on. Perhaps you've gone away with a job or um, a particular endeavor in your life and you think, Lord, I thought you were leading me there and this didn't turn out the way that I thought it was supposed to turn out. And you're in a place of doubt today. Let me just assure you, turn to the Lord. Repent of sin if it is sinful and then trust our great God. He is king and his kingdom is coming and he's calling you to trust in him this morning.